0: the Tolkien Lore Channel, I'm the Tolkien Geek, and I recently read an article on ScreenRant.com where they were talking about a bunch of different plot holes or continuity errors in the Lord of the Rings, and most of them didn't really make a whole lot of sense, so I figured I would take this opportunity to go through one by one and basically explain why their plot holes aren't plot holes. There are a couple that actually do make sense, they are kind of problematic in the movies, But mostly, I think the author of the article was just kind of being lazy or wasn't paying enough attention. So let's go ahead and get started. I'm just going to hit these really quick and get them out of the way because it's a fairly long list and I don't want this video to become a 35-minute affair. So let's get started. First on the list of the alleged continuity problems is that Gandalf apparently has some really bad memory issues because if you watch The Lord of the Rings... He doesn't really understand that it's the one ring until, like, right at the beginning of the movie after Bilbo leaves, after his party. But if you watch The Hobbit, at the end he said, I know you found a magic ring. Okay, but remember, he also told Bilbo in, in Hobbiton at the beginning of the Fellowship, there are many magic rings in this world, Bilbo, and none of them should be treated lightly. So of course he doesn't know it's the one ring. How would he know it's the one ring? There are many magic rings in this world. There are tons of them and not even just the great rings. If you actually read the novels, then he explains not only are there the 973 and 1, there are more than that. There are other lesser rings that are also magical. So yeah, that just doesn't work out. Next, second item on the list is the elves teleport and specifically he refers to the fact that the elves show up at Helm's Deep in the Two Towers just in time to prevent the orcs from getting in. Now, I'll give them the fact that there's probably no way the elves should have beat the uruk Um, but even that's questionable because it, you see, because of what Aragorn sees in the movie, that the uruk have to march a pretty long way to get there, so it's not like they just leave Isengard and instantly cut off Elm's Deep. But the bigger problem is they're acting like they just showed up right in time because... Well, they don't really even explain in the article. They just say it's clear that they kind of must have teleported. Well, we see a scene with Elrond and Galadriel kind of communicating telepathically, and it's not really clearly defined when this is. It takes this much suspension of disbelief to realize that scene could have been timed to show us what's about, to explain what's about to happen, but not necessarily in chronological order that could have been a conversation that Elrond and Galadriel had months earlier and you have to remember Lothlórien is not that far from Rohan either that's pretty much where they end up right after going down the falls of Rauros so they could probably get there relatively quickly and without having to explain a whole lot of what's going on i mean it's is it problematic yes but is it impossible certainly not Now, what to me is the worst part about it is it adds a completely foreign thing to the story that wasn't in the novel, and it gets Haldir killed. That's the real problem with that scene. That being said, let's move on to the next problem. The next one is the fact that Minas Tirith was not full of starving people. And this one gets really bad because you you really get the fact that the person who's writing this hasn't seen or didn't pay attention to the movie because the starting line is... When we're first introduced to Minas Tirith, it's a city under siege. No, no it's not. They still haven't even crossed the bridge at Osgiliath when we're first introduced to Minas Tirith. And there's a huge plain called the Fields of Pelennor right outside the gates. Which, by the way, if you read the novel, that's where all the farmland is. And they've been preparing for siege for how long? They've got plenty of food in there. Let's be serious. This guy isn't even watching the movie. Next. Fourth item on the list is the alleged on-again, off-again relationship of Gandalf and Shadowfax. And essentially, the grounds for this is that we briefly see Shadowfax in the Fellowship of the Ring, but then he never uses him again until the Two Towers and Return of the King. Well, first of all, let's start off with the fact that just because Gandalf is on a white horse when he travels to Minas Tirith and Isengard doesn't mean it's Shadowfax. Like, there can't be other white horses? The other problem, of course, is... If you're going for secrecy and you've got nine people, how are you going to carry them all on a horse? One horse. How is he going to take Shadowfax along and all the rest of the fellowship keep up? Not happening. Next, the next one is that hobbits, though are though they are supposed to be a isolated and little known race are yet not really looked upon as strange by most of the cultures in Middle Earth. Okay, well, first of all, the beginning of the movie doesn't say that they're little known. It says that they were ignored by the big folk. But we also know from the very early part of the movie, when the hobbits reach Bree, that some of the big folk do know about hobbits. So it's not like this is a completely new thing. Second, again, a little bit of suspension and disbelief, could lead you to believe that, you know, at some point, some of these people are questioning, you know, who are these really half-high, weird-looking people, but they just kind of skipped over those scenes as not necessary to the plot. Now, those scenes do occur in the novels. You do have a few instances, and in those cases, it's usually explained, for instance, in Rohan, that they had legends of something like the Hobbits, that, you know, they just kind of blew off as legends until, there you know, there's a Hobbit there. Same for Gondor, when Pippin arrives in Minas Tirith, they have a word for, you know, half-high, Perianoth, it's half-man, that's what he is, so I mean, it's not like that's a radically weird thing, in fact, most of these cultures do know, the fact that the movie doesn't go out of its way to explain it just means that they're conserving time, and given that the movies are all at least three hours, that's not really such a bad thing, is it? So, that's that one. The next one on the list was inevitable. It's the eagles. I've done a full video on this, and you should go watch that. In the meantime, I'll just mention here that, no, you can't just fly the entire Fellowship to Mordor because that's not very secretive now, is it? Second, yes, the m- movies do create a slight problem with the evil eagles because it makes it seem like they're kind of at Gandalf's beck and call because all he has to do is find a moth, whisper to it, send the moth off, then come the eagles. They are a bit of a DSX Machina, but, I mean, it's not as bad as all that. Again, go see the video that I did on this. I'll explain more in detail there why the Eagles is not such a huge issue as people like to pretend. Next up. Here's one where I have to give them a little bit of credit. They point out that Pippin eats like an absolute monster and yet never gains weight. Now, true to the story, you would have four hobbits that start out relatively rotund and then grow thinner over time as they have to, A, exercise more by walking all day, and B, eat less because they have to ration their food. And that, you know, we actually do get a comment about that in the novel where Frodo basically says, I'm wasting away here. But in the movie, it does present a little bit of a problem that Pippin is kind of presented as eating tons and tons and tons of food And yet he's this slim guy who's walking around and not gaining any weight at all. Now, what I will say, they point out specifically that he eats four of the Limbus bread, and this might be only in the extended cut, I don't remember, uh, which one small bite is supposed to be enough to fill the stomach of a grown man, is what Legolas says. Problem there is the fact that you eat one small bite of bread doesn't mean you actually ingested a thousand calories. The limbus bread is semi-magical. It's not filling you up because of calories. It's filling you up, filling you up, because of other properties about it that have a little more to do with elves and magic than to do with fat, protein, and carbs. So I'll give them half credit. Two partial credits in a row. This time, they're complaining that why does Frodo get to see Sauron pretty much every time he puts on the ring, and yet there's no hint that Bilbo ever did, that Gollum ever did, any of this stuff. You know, that that does raise an interesting question, because in the book, you never even really get the idea that Frodo sees or senses Sauron in any way, shape, or form, except the one time he's on top of the hill at on hen just before Boromir gets killed, and he's on the seat of seeing. So there's some magical properties associated with that, and he almost gets spotted by Sauron himself at the time. Now, in the context of just the movie, you could argue that, well, he's seeing Sauron, Sauron isn't seeing him, and the reason he's seeing Sauron is because Sauron has returned to power and is more actively searching for the Ring. And the fact that Bilbo never said anything about Sauron doesn't mean that there wasn't something going on there. But it still is a little unsatisfying, so again, partial credit. Now let's move to the next one. The next one is kind of a old version of... It's an old argument kind of rehashed for this particular story. It's, if Gandalf's a wizard, why doesn't he use magic? Why is he always just using his staff and his sword, like physical weapons? Well, you know, I mean again, suspension of disbelief. There's, there's limits to what they can do, right? There have to be. So the question is, what can Gandalf actually do? When can he do it? Under what circumstances? etc. So, I mean, in the novels, you get a little more explanation of this because it basically points out he's trying to hide the fact that he has this power so he doesn't become known to, you know, the servants of Sauron who can then report him and be like, hey, let's all go take out that guy. He's kind of important. Um, There's also other elements that are explained in the novels that aren't really touched on in the books, such as the fact that he's basically forbidden to use power overtly to achieve his ends. He's supposed to achieve them by convincing other people to stand up to Sauron, etc. So there are limitations on his power that are kind of explicit in the books that aren't really mentioned in the movies, that being the case, again, we're, we're talking about a world where magic exists in the first place, so you have to know, what are the rules for that? What what kind of things can you do with magic? What are the limitations? Since none of that is explained, do we really have to bring this up as a specific issue? Because, really, all you have to do is say, well, for whatever reason, the rules that apply to magic apply such that Gandalf, in these circumstances, Is better off or has to use merely a sword and a staff. That's really all there is to say about it. Next. Here comes another legitimate point. Bilbo's rapid aging at the end of the Return of the King. Now in the novel the way this kind of works out is after Bilbo's party 17 years pass before Frodo finally sets out on the quest and then of course there's another year plus before the end of the quest, then they return, there's some more time that passes before Bilbo and Frodo finally set sail. So there's a lot of time that actually does pass that allows Bilbo to age and kind of catch up with where he should have been after, you know, having the ring all that time. Now in the in the movie that doesn't really work because you get the idea that after Bilbo's party it's less than a year before Frodo then goes on the quest. He then meets Bilbo who looks Older but not ancient in Rivendell. And then by the time they get back from the quest and then set off for the Undying Lands at the very end, Bilbo looks like he literally could kill over and die any minute. So, yeah, the movies do kind of a poor job with that. It's not really well done in terms of explaining how that works. I mean, you do get the idea that people age faster after the ring. But as the article points out, Smeagol Gollum doesn't age nearly as rapidly despite having been deprived of the ring for over 60 years. You could make the argument that because he owned it for 500, it also just kind of slowed down his aging rate permanently, if not stopped it. But eh, that's a mushy argument. So again, partial credit on this one. This next item isn't even really a plot hole. Basically, it's a that we don't know more about what happened to the seven dwarvish rings. And in the article it says that we're we're given an explanation as to what happened to the elven rings. Well, no, not really. Uh, We know that Galadriel has one. And if you pay attention, you can tell that Gandalf is wearing one and Elrond is wearing one at the very end of the movie. But I mean, you have to pay attention. You never really know that much about the elven rings beyond who owns them. That's kind of it. And the nine, of course, we know about the ring rates. But as far as the seven dwarf lords who had the seven rings of power, it's not a plot hole that we don't know about them. It's not relevant to the plot. If you wanted to know more about those rings of power, you can go read the novel or, you know, as the article itself even suggests, do a Google search. You know, you can find this information out. But it doesn't affect the validity of any of the plot in the movies at all and since we're focused on the One Ring and the the Nine, because they happen to be in the possession of Sauron controlling the Nine ring Ringwraiths, who actually play a role in the story, unlike the Dwarven Lords and the other rings, you know, that seems kind of relevant, unlike the Dwarven Rings. So anyway, again, I don't even understand this one. It's not a plot hole. Here's one that I need to do it. Full video on, and other people have done videos on this topic, but the complaint is that we have no reason, no explanation for why Eowyn can kill the Witch King just because she's a woman. Um, And, you know, I can kind of see why somebody who's just watching the movie casually and not really thinking about it might go, why does that make sense? But, and even if you read the novel, it's not really clear unless you read the appendices. This all goes back to an ancient prophecy by, um, I think it might have been Glorfindel, but I'm not sure. It was definitely an elf who basically told one of the kings of Gondor or Arnor, he will never be killed by the hand of man. And so, being aware of this prophecy, apparently, the witch king says to Eowyn, no living man can hinder me. Or in the movie, it's no no man can kill me. Uh, Same difference, more or less. But in the novel, you basically kind of get the whole idea of, She kind of unmasks herself early, and at that point, the Witch King's like, "Mm." in the movie, it's a lot more instant because she doesn't reveal that she's a woman until the very end, right after he reveals that prophecy at the very end of the fight, and then stabs him. But the whole idea is, it's not that a man physically can't kill him, it's that no man would kill him. And so... Again, that kind of gets into suspension of disbelief. At some point, you just kind of have to accept the movie on its own terms. No man can kill me. Why? Do we need to know? The important thing is that a man can't kill him. That's all we really need to know. Who did kill him? A hobbit and a woman. We're good. Here's another one that's not really a plot hole or anything like that. It's just a complaint, and it's the fact that everybody in the cast is white, which is not really true. Uh, granted, there's not as much racial diversity in the movies as there are in the novels, because in the novels you do get the idea that Harad, the the South, Southerns, are oh, basically kind of like Africans, and then the Easterlings are probably near-Asian-type peoples or something of that nature. But even in the movies, you get the idea that the Easterlings and the Southerns are somewhat Asiatic-slash- they're certainly not Caucasian. I mean, if you look at the people in the Polenor Fields battle, you can tell there are non-Caucasian races in that mix. So it's not, I mean, they're obviously not just straight out African or Aboriginal or anything like that. But, I mean, they were pulling a lot of their extras from the New Zealand native population, which is, you know, at best, mixed Caucasian in a lot of in a lot of those ways. So, I mean, you've got a lot of Kiwi extra actors in there who, you know, do give it a little bit of a mix, but again, this isn't even a plot hole. It's just kind of a random complaint. Next to last item on the list is that the Nazgul are lazy and aren't really trying that hard to get the ring back, and their biggest example is the fact that in the fight on Weathertop, they only really attack Aragorn one at a time, and they kind of give up too easy. And I have to give a little bit of credit here. It is true that the fight scene doesn't really make sense realistically because in a real fight between five on one side and then one on the other side, the one guy is going to lose. I mean, there's really no, no way around that. It's just not happening. Um, but uh, to, to complain about this one movie for that and to not basically say that all of Hollywood just has no idea how fights work Come on, this is in every movie with a fight scene involving more than one person against one person. It's it's like this everywhere. I mean, just pick your action movie. Um so again, partial credit for being technically correct, but not going to give you full credit for that when that's everywhere. I mean, we kind of come to expect it at this point. Last but not least on this long list of really bad not plot holes is the fact that Elrond just lets Isildur walk away with the ring and dooms everybody. Eh, I give him like a quarter credit on this one. Uh, in the novel, it gets explained that Elrond tried, El- Elrond and on the shipwright actually try to convince Isildur to throw the, wing, throw the ring away, but they're not doing it because they know what the ring's power is, and that it's going to let Sauron come back and all this other stuff. Because they're still at this point; they've just killed Sauron. And in the novel, the this was done without cutting the finger off with the ring. I mean, Elendil and, and Gilgalad they actually take out Sauron, and then after he's already dead, Isildur comes along and cuts the ring off. So you know. Part of it is the way the story gets told makes it a little more confusing, but in the in the in the movie you do get the idea that Elrond knows that it really has to be destroyed and then he doesn't really do anything about it. So, yeah, okay, it's a little weird that Elrond just kind of lets him get away, but you do also have the counterbalancing fact that whenever Frodo is telling Gandalf that he wishes that Bilbo had killed Gollum when he got the chance. Gandalf reminds him it was pity that made him not do it. In the novel, he takes an additional step and said the fact that he did that out of pity is probably what saved him from being more corrupted than he was. Uh, So if we assume that Elrond is this kind of all-knowing guy, then you have the fact that he could also know the fact that if if he tries to take the ring by force, it's only going to make things worse. And quite frankly, even if he's not all-knowing, he could probably still figure that out. They're over a giant chasm filled with lava. If he tries to take out a Sildur, he might be the one that dies, and then there's no Elrond left to help lead the, you know, be part of the White Council and do all sorts of other good things that Elrond ends up doing throughout the course of the Third Age, basically. So, you know, there's there's a little bit of something there, but there's also you know, Again, just a little suspension of disbelief goes a long way. There you go. So, that was a long list, and I'd say more than half of it was basically junk. So, those are my reasons for why those don't really make any sense, or to the extent that they do, why they do. So, anyway, if you were bamboozled by this article at some point, then hopefully this cleared up some stuff for you. If you want to see more stuff about Lord of the Rings or any of other any of Tolkien's other works, then please subscribe to the channel. If you like this video, please share it and give it a thumbs up. And until next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore channel. Namaste.